Melody is going to come and address us together, and then she's going to take the children, and she's going to do a special program with the kids in just a minute. And uh, so we still have one more song to sing, but we'll invite the band up when that time comes. And uh, so we're just going to invite uh, Pastor, Reverend, Missionary, Dan, and Melody to come on up, and we want to pray for you. And, uh, and then you begin the process of, of sharing with us what God has put on your heart this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the Ibsens. We give you praise that we have such seasoned ministers among us. Thank you for their heart and passion for missions. Lord, thank you that they're willing to come and spend some time with us today and share what's on their heart and the work that is going on in West Africa. And we just ask your blessing and anointing on them. And I pray, Jesus, that as Melody goes and spends some time with our children as well, that it would be just one of those moments, God. Are you calling any of our young ones out to the mission field? Father, I pray that your ministry would be clear in their hearts today as they listen to this uh, story of ministry, mission work among those who do not know you yet. And so, God, we pray for that. And just ask your blessing on them, anointing as they speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be with you here this morning. Guinea is located on the bulge of West Africa, surrounded by Senegal, Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. This beautiful country has about 12 million inhabitants living in a gorgeous tropical paradise. 90% of them are Muslims. About 9% follow traditional religions, and less than 1% are Christian. The work of the Christian and Missionary Alliance began in West Africa through the vision of its founder, A.B. Simpson. Maybe you've heard of him. He wanted to find his way to take the message of Christ into the vast, unreached interior of West Africa. The strategy was to find the headwaters of the Niger River and use that river as a highway into that inaccessible region with millions of inhabitants. Between 1980 <coughs> and 1918, or 1890, pardon me, and 1918, many unsuccessful attempts were made to cross Sierra Leone and gain access to Guinea. Over 100 workers who responded to the call to this region, um, ab of those 100 workers, about 30 lost their lives to tropical diseases attempting to get to Guinea. However, these workers persisted, and in January of 1919, the first resident missionaries established their headquarters at Baro in Guinea on the Niger River. During the next 20 years, missionaries were posted in 14 communities in Guinea and another 14 in the rest of West Africa, in current-day Mali, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, and Senegal. After World War II, the workers in Guinea put a major emphasis on training leaders in the emerging church. They established a Bible training school for pastors and another school to train young women how to be good wives, mothers, and workers in the church. As countries in West Africa began to agitate for independence from their colonizers, the CNMA mission in Guinea proactively encouraged the local believers to take responsibility for their own church. 
The church followed a three-year plan to take financial responsibility for its own ministries and develop its own governmental structure. By 1964, the Guinean church was independent from the mission. In his 1967 May Day speech, the Guinean president, Sekou Toure, suddenly ordered all expatriate missionaries to leave the country within one month. He said the churches in Guinea should be run by nationals and not by missionaries. So Ralph Shellrood, the mission director at that time, and Doug Miller, the one who had just um, finished his term as mission director, went to see the president and got permission for the CNMA to maintain a presence at the Bible school because the CNMA church in Guinea was already autonomous and had its own leadership. In 1984, Sekou Toure died. The new president opened Guinea again to the West and to missions. The CNMA sought to place as many new workers into Guinea as possible over the next decade. Both Dan and I felt called to serve in missions at an early age. I was six and Dan was 11. We met and married while attending the University of Alberta in preparation for mission service. In 1985, we were appointed as CNMA international workers and went to learn French in Quebec. We went to Guinea in August of 1986. That's a long time ago. <laughs> For the first 12 years, we served mainly in leadership training. We developed a theological education by extension training program for the National Church. It's kind of like Bible school, right in church. And we went, um, and then we taught students and trained trainees throughout Guinea. During the influx of refugees from neighboring Sierra Leone and, Cote and Liberia and Cote d'Ivoire, we even had the privilege of training people from those countries and served alongside our Guinean brothers and sisters as they welcomed over 800,000 refugees in a 10-year period. We also taught and trained the small group of believers who had come to faith out of Islam through the ministry of our colleagues in Conakry, the capital city. During the early years, we spent several years learning or attempting to learn a couple of local tribal languages, and we lived in five different places. From 1998 to 2008, we served as the field director couple for the, for the Guinea CNMA team. That meant that we oversaw the ministries of the missionary teams, we worked closely with the national church, and we represented the church to the Guinean authorities. Whenever we could, we would also teach courses at the Bible schools and speak in various seminars and conferences. Our team often encountered significant stress because of political instability in Guinea. During this period, we walked with our team as our kids, who attended boarding school, had to be evacuated and relocated to Dakar because of civil war in Cote d'Ivoire. We even had to evacuate our whole team once for a few weeks to Senegal uh, because of political unrest in Guinea. For the final seven years of our ministry, Dan and I were asked to develop a training program for mission interns and apprentices who wanted to, to discover if a career in mission was for them. So we established WAVE, which was West Africa Vision Expedition. And um, it provided a way for young adults to experience missions firsthand. 
participants receive training in language, culture, outreach strategies, and mission principles. They also visited and interacted with international workers from the CNMA team all over Guinea, as well as other missions. During the 2014 and 15 Ebola crisis in Guinea, maybe some of you remember when Ebola was in Africa and everybody was afraid it was going to spread all throughout the world. Well, we were there. And our interns were there with us. So they got the full meal deal. <laughs> we had to leave Guinea for nine months. And we so we relocated to Niger, where we lived together in one house, two of couples who were working with the interns, Dan and I and another couple, and four young adults. Um, they were troopers. And we got through the year still friends. They found new ministries and involvements in Niamey and learned that God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, no um, situation is ever wasted. So 17 young adults went through this training program with us. Ten of them are back serving on various mission fields now. And or they're working cross-culturally um, in Canada or the United States. The others are in various training work and ministries here in North America. During the last seven years, we also had the privilege of fulfilling a dream that we'd had since 1994. We were able to work together with our pastor, the pastor of our local church, Pastor Lucien, and the local CNMA church in Mamu to seek together to reach the large unreached Muslim population in that city. Because probably pretty much 100% Muslim. Church people there are now telling Bible stories to their contacts, the people that they work with and live next to in the community. And God's word is making a dip, an impact in the lives of the people there. Since returning to Canada, Dan and I served as international workers in residence at Ambrose University. This year, we are serving with the Western Canadian District as interim district missions coach, as well as visiting our supporting churches and facilitating the Kairos course in northern Alberta. We went to Guinea in 1986 as a family of four. But today, the clan has grown to 13 who are living and serving in four different countries. Corey Lee, the oldest, is a middle school math and French teacher at Dakar Academy in Senegal. She's been there for 17 years already. That makes us feel old. <laughs> Charles and Angela, and their three adorable kids, Makaya, Nura, and Elia, are also in Dakar, where Charles is the chief operations officer at Dakar Academy. Angela has taught there, and they are both also helping with extracurricular activities at the school, mentoring students, and participating in school life. Kyle, Maggie, Haley, and Barrett have been serving in Haiti in development and discipleship ministries with the local CNMA church there. They are empowering local men to start a small business and have started a trade school. Currently, because of severe unrest in Haiti, they have relocated to Atlanta and have been flying in and out of Haiti as they are, as they are able to, in order to supervise their projects that they started there. Carrie-Anne is in Niamey, Niger, where she is a receptionist and substitute teacher at the American school there and is seeking to serve and reach the unreached Tuareg population of the city. She also holds trauma counseling sessions in the local church, and she is helping the church find um, funding to start a surgical hospital in the city. 
We are thankful again and again for the faithful partners we have had throughout the years, including you. More than 500 people have regularly prayed for and supported us uh, financially over the 33 years that we have been serving with the CMA. Some of these people have also come to encourage us on the ground through eyeglass clinics, helping develop our solar system for our home, and lending us a hand wherever they could. We're thankful for our sending church, Westlock Alliance. This church has faithfully prayed for us, financially supported us, sent teams over to encourage and lend a hand, given timely counsel when we had difficult decisions to make, and welcomed us back and prepared housing for us when we returned on home assignment. Westlock teams helped build a, a, a second church in the city where we were living, and they also built a dorm for the Bible school. We're thankful for churches like Beulah in Edmonton, who faithfully partnered with us. Beulah sent teams to Guinea and helped build a Bible school dorm and a Christian high school in Mamu. We're thankful for the partnership of the Peace Cluster churches, of which you are a part. A group of five pastors from this area came to Guinea to help us launch the initiative to reach Mamu for Christ that I told you about, and have supported this initiative in prayer and in encouragement ever since. We're thankful for the generator that Grand Prairie Alliance and other Peace Cluster churches provided to help with our electrical needs. And now that we're not there anymore, it's providing power for a Christian medical clinic in the southern part of Guinea. We're also thankful for our Guinean partners, pastors, lay leaders, fellow believers who've taught us, guided us through cultural minefields when we didn't have a clue what we were doing, and labored at our sides. We're thankful for colleagues who have stood with us through the years and who have encouraged us when, um, the, when the going was tough, and it was often tough. We're thankful for faithful workers who have served in our home and on our station so that it, we, it was possible for us to give ourselves to the work of the ministry and who have helped us in that ministry often. We say, as Paul did, in all my prayers, for all of you, we always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel with us from the first day until now. We are thankful most of all to our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his spirit walked with us through difficult as well as really, really good times, who gave health and healing when needed, and who provided anointing and gifting to do the work of the ministry. To him, be glory and praise. Thank you for sharing. What a journey you've been on. Hey, very interesting. All right, children, why don't you all get ready and way you go to your class and you get to spend some time with Mrs. Ibsen and she's going to share with you some more of this journey that they've been on. And so kids, way you go. And I'm going to invite Dan to come on up. And give us part two. Now we'll sing after. You'll we'll sing, sing after. Yeah, okay. We'll sing after. Is that all right? Just easier. Okay, sure. I don't need this, I don't think. Okay. Great to be here in Hinton today. We're sure glad to be with you. We were here in the fall, as some of you may remember, with uh, our friends from India. 
what a privilege and what a joy. And uh, we're here now uh, and just enjoying this cold weekend. <laughs> you know, about a week ago, Friday, this past Friday, we were visiting our kids in Africa. And we came home that day and we left 30 degrees and we came back to 30 degrees. One was plus and one was minus, but you know how that goes. Yeah. So it's good to be here. And we've had a warm welcome in spite of the cold. Thank you. Now, some of you know about the Alliance Church and what it's all about, but I'm not going to assume all of you do. And so I'm just going to give a brief overview of who we are as the Alliance Church. You are part of 435 churches here in Canada, and we are united by a prayer that we pray together. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. Multiplying disciples everywhere. That's who we are. We are united by this prayer in a common purpose to be on mission together. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. When we look over our world, we have made a commitment as a group of churches to complete the Great Commission by taking the message of Jesus to the least reached peoples of the world. That's our focus as the Alliance, the least reached peoples of the world. We don't want to go where others are already. And so where does that lead us? It leads us to some of the hardest places in the world. It leads us to some of the most spiritually neglected people of the world. And our desire is to provide access to Jesus for them so that they can at least know who, that he is and who he is and what he's done for them. And we are currently have, as a Christian Missionary Alliance churches, over 250 international workers serving in, throughout the world. Each worker with the Christian Missionary Alliance has a commitment to be working with one of the least reached people groups of the world. So every one of these 250 workers has to identify a least reached people group that they're working with. And for this purpose, we've divided the world into the five S regions. Now I'm going to give you a little test. How many know what area of the world is represented by C to C? C to C, where would that be? Anybody? Okay, especially specifically Canada. Yes, right. Okay, great. Good. You got that one. Let's try the next one. How about the spice area of the world? Where would that be located? Okay, India. Asia is the overall term we use. Asia is the spice area of the world. Asian spice, we call it. How about the Silk Road? Okay, China and across that band all the way to Europe. Basically, that's the Silk Road. Okay, great. You're doing well. 
How about the sand area of the world? Pardon? Africa, yeah, why? The Sahara Desert, we think of sand, right? And we were in the sand area of the world. How about the sun area of the world? Where do you go when you want sun? Car Caribbean. So Caribbean, Latin, and, uh, Latin America area, we call the sun area. And in these five regions, we have workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada who are uh, reaching out to the least reached peoples. Globally, you will find about 5 million people attending Alliance churches on any given Sunday. Interesting, huh? You didn't know you were part of a group that big. And uh, they're worshiping in over 80 countries. And of the, one of the most exciting developments is of the 80 churches around the world in these 80 different countries, 37 of them are now joining us in sending missionaries to other parts of the world where Jesus isn't known yet. So they're getting the vision, and they're joining us in that. Isn't that exciting? And so Melody and I are excited to be part of this global, pioneering missionary movement. And we've been serving in the sand region for over 32 years. In the foyer in the back there there's a table and you'll see a bunch of little brochures there please feel free to pick them up they're free for the taking we don't want to haul them back to spruce grove so take as many as you want okay so that's who we are as the christian missionary alliance i hope that helps you a little bit to understand what you're part of because you are part of this all and you are helping people like us to do this kind of work Today we want to look at, uh, uh, let's see, we've got it up there, good. I'll try and keep, operate this thing and make it go. You know, in the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. And as he created, every day he looked at his creation and he said, it's good. It's good. It's very good. God created a good creation. But what happened? As we look around us today, we see a lot of brokenness. We see a lot of hurt. We see a lot of evil and wickedness. What happened? Well, most of you know, disobedience. The first people that God created disobeyed God's command and through that brought on humankind uh, this penalty for sin, which is death. That's what the Bible says. Or separation from the Creator who created us to be in community with Him, in fellowship with Him. So brokenness entered. And ever since that moment, God's been on a mission. And God's mission is this. He is seeking to restore the original goodness that He wanted in creation. He's seeking to bring us as human beings into that relationship that he intended for us in the creation. That very good relationship and situation that he originally created. So God's mission has been to restore that for his people that he loves so much, you and me. He loves us so much that he's seeking and he's seeking to restore that creation. So God's desire is to bring all peoples, did it work? No? Yeah, 
that song. Anyway. Okay. God's desire is to have all peoples of the world bring glory to him or enter into that relationship he created them for that brings honor to him and glory to him. Where do I point this? <laughs> okay, there. Okay. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 shows us God's heart and what his intention and desire is for the culmination of everything. And I want us to read this in unison together because this is so exciting to me. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and had palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. At the end of time, this is what God wants. He wants representatives from every people, tribe, tongue, nation. He wants First Nations people there. He wants Filipinos there. He wants uh, Asians there. He wants... Canadians there, he wants Europeans there, he wants Latinos there. God wants people represented from every language, tribe, and tongue. That brings glory to him. That's what he's longing for. That's what his intention is for his creation. Okay. We got both of those up there. We'll just read one now. Uh, so God, uh, we see this as explained in Matthew 24, 14, and I'm going to ask the men to read that one, okay? Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. All nations, whole world. He says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached there, and then the end will come can't come until then. A.B. Simpson was once asked by a reporter to predict when the world would end and when Christ would come back, because A.B. Simpson had a ministry and teaching in the second coming of Christ and that kind of thing. And so they asked him this question. He said, bring your other reporter friends and come back tomorrow and I'll tell you exactly when the world will end. Well, they all went and thought A.B. Simpson was going to catch himself in a trap and give a date. But you know what A.B. Simpson did? He opened this passage and said to them, when this happens, that's when the end will come. And that's true. Uh, then we see in 2 Peter 3, 9, and the women can read this, please. The Lord, it's not up there? Oh, I'll click it again. Okay, good. Ladies, go ahead. So some people say, oh, but it's been so long. Is Jesus really coming back again? I mean, it's been so long, and he's, it's over 2,000 years since he lived here. Is he really coming back again? Well, why isn't he? Because he's patient. He's waiting. He wants representatives from every people before his throne, before he returns. He wants all 
who are ready to respond to actually have an opportunity to hear. That's why he's not come back. So what's God's method? How does he do this? How does he bring people from every nation, tribe to, uh, to himself? Well, he's only chosen one method, his people. He's chosen his people to do this. In the scriptures, we read about when things got so bad on the earth and God was going to destroy the world, he wanted to save some and save the animals. What did he do? He chose Noah, who was a righteous man. What did he do later on in Genesis chapter 12? There was Abraham. And what did God do? God called Abraham to leave his home and go to another place. And why? Because God said to Abraham, I will bless you so that all the nations of the earth can be blessed through you. Why does God bless his people? He blesses us to bless others. We are blessed to bless. And that's what God called Abraham to do. And God said to Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. So he established the Jewish nation, Israel. And through Israel, God showed himself to the nations around. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll be amazed to see how many of the nations around Israel were touched by the people of Israel. And then... Jesus came. And after Jesus came, God established another special group of people called the church. And we're part of that. And through the church, God wants to bless the nations and reach the nations. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, let's see. We'll have the 40 plus read this, okay? Anybody 40 and over. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, some of you will be my witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit's living in you. That doesn't mean you have to go to a special school to learn how to tell people about Jesus. You just share what Jesus has done for you. That's what a witness is. He shares his experience with those around him or her. And that is what God's intention is for us, to be his witnesses. That's the church's job. Uh, and then uh, those under 40, you can read this verse, First uh, Peter 2.9. God is dress, addressing this to the people of God, and he says, you are a chosen people. You have a special thing that God is entrusting to you. You're chosen. You are a royal priesthood. What does a priesthood do? A priest represents God to people. And he says, we as his followers, we're chosen, and we're chosen to be priests. But not only that, he says, you're a holy nation. Did you know that you are holy? Maybe you don't always feel so holy, and I, 
I understand that because I don't always feel so holy. But before God, we are holy because Jesus is holy. And Jesus gives us his holiness in standing before God. So we are a holy people. We're different from the world around us. We don't have to live like everybody else does. We can be free from the things that, uh, 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 I was going to use a French word, uh, that put people in slavery. We can be free from the things that bind people, that hurt people, that cause people so much grief and illness and difficulty in this world. Because we are a holy nation. A people belonging to God. Why? So that we may declare his praise, the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. He leaves us here as his people in this world so that we can tell others about all the good things God has for us. That's why we're here. Otherwise, why didn't he just take us right to heaven? Because we can sure do a lot of more of the other stuff better. We can worship him better. We can pray better. We can, all that, we're in his presence. But he leaves us here so that we can represent him to others around. We're his chosen people and a royal priesthood. Okay, let's read this all together. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus gave this command or gave this instruction to a group of people who were on that mountainside. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus said to them, said to them you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. You don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep. I can take care of all that. This is what I want you to worry about or be concerned about. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Is God's purpose for the nations, is God's purpose for humankind what really is your passion of your heart first and foremost? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Is God's holiness and right way of living is that your passion? Is that the first thing in your thinking? If we do that, then there's a promise connected to it. And all these things, food, clothing, shelter, all the necessaries of life will be given to you as well. That's his promise to us, his followers. But seek first his kingdom. Make that priority. And oh, there are stories, I'm not going to get into any of them, but I could be tempted, but uh, of how God has been so faithful. When we were young, I'll tell one story. When we were young students, just newly married, and we didn't have a lot of means, and you know how that goes, uh, God said, I want you to support your church and mission with at least 10% of your income. We, we felt him saying that that's what he wanted us to do. And I remember 
sitting down with the pencil and saying it doesn't work out. We can't do that. But I knew that that's what God wanted us to do. And we started making the first check out to mission and to the church ministry every month. That's the first check I wrote before I wrote the expense check. And for a couple months, it looked so touch and go, and I was, I was worried, and I was going to say, well, I can't do this. But we pushed through, and we have seen God's faithfulness in honoring that commitment. And we have not lacked rent payments, food payments. We've not lacked clothing for our kids, education for our kids, through all the years since that time, over 42 years. God is faithful. God honors when we seek first his kingdom. So how are we doing in all of this? If God wants people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, how are we as a church doing? How's it going? Are we there yet? Let's look. The current situation. Could it be that the king has not yet returned because the last person has not yet heard and understood the message that he wants to have here and understand the message. Now, I'm going to do something that they say as preachers is the best thing. I'm going to use statistics. So bear with me for a few statistics. In the past year, Melody and I have become involved in a, a course called the Kairos course. It's a course about God's heart for the world and God's heart for the nations. And we have been deeply moved as we've studied in this course, and now we help to lead and train people in this course. And we found that our part in God's purposes is we are blessed to bless. That principle, we are blessed to bless. And we found some of these truths that I'm sharing with you today. But we found that this helps to us to change how we looked at our world, how we looked at the world around us. And so I'm going to be talking about Kairos later on, and I'd encourage any of you, if you ever have the opportunity, to take this course because it has some great stuff. But these are some of the questions that Melody and I began to wrestle with as we went through this course. First of all, the first question, well, the question didn't show up. How come? It was supposed to come up right away. Is it not there? I'll read the question then. The question is this. Why is it that after more than 2,000 years of Christian mission, more than one-third of the world still have, has not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why is it that after 2,000 years of Christian mission, about one-third of the world has not yet heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The situation of the 7.3 billion people in the world, 3 billion live among the unreached peoples of the world, and 1.6 billion are completely unevangelized. That's the situation. Question, why are there still more than 7,000 people groups without a viable church? 
According to one database, there are 16,562 people groups in the whole world. A people group is a group of people who have a distinct language, a distinct culture, and need to hear the gospel in their own language and in their own cultural milieu in order to be able to respond to it. Okay? That's what a people group is. And so there are 16,562 groups. 9,715 are classed as reached. That means they have an evangelical church population of over 2%. And that's considered to be the critical mass. And if you have an evangelical church population of over 2%, they can reach out to the rest of that group. Okay? Uh, so 6, uh, 9,715 are considered reached. But 6,847 are unreached. They have a group less than 2% evangelical. And uh, why is it that so many people have not yet heard? Okay, next. Why are the labors so desperately few? Let's see. Where do I go? Okay. It's something happened to my... Things, but why are the labors so desperately few? 91% of outreach and evangelism does not target non-Christians, but targets other Christians. Serious, huh? Pretty serious. Of the 440,000 Protestant missionaries in the world, 74% reach uh, work among nominal Christians. 8% among tribal peoples, 6% among Muslims, 4% non-religious affiliates or atheists, and 3% Buddhist and 2% Hindu. Is that the way we should be distributing our workforce? It's a question I'm asking. What's wrong with this picture? If we really believe that he wants people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Why are so many focused on nominal Christians? Anyway, they need the gospel too. I know that. But is there something wrong with our focus? Why, when we are so blessed by God, do we consume it on ourselves and not bless others with it? Christians make, 30, uh, make up 33% of the world population, about a third of the world's population. But we control 53% of the world's annual income. We receive 53% of the world's annual income for 33% of the population. And 98% of that income is consumed on ourselves. Is that how we should be living? I'm asking that question myself, personally. Um, let's see. Can we go to the next one? Why does such a vast amount of our mission dollar get spent on the already reached peoples and so little on the least reached peoples? These are some disturbing things that I've been wrestling with, and I, I just share them with you because I'm wrestling with them. Christian's annual income is $12.3 trillion. All Christians in the world, okay? $12.3 trillion. 213 billion is given to all Christian causes. Now, if you do the calculation on that, I think it works out to about 1.7% of all of our Christian income is being used to support all of the Christian ministry in the, all, the whole world. 
okay? 1.7%. That's what we're giving to support the ministries of God's church. Okay? 11 billion is given to foreign missions. 80% of that goes to work being done al among already Christian groups. 80% of the 11.4 billion is going to work among Christian groups. 12% goes to work among the evangelized non-Christians. They've already received the gospel, but we're still working there and sending funds there. And only 1% goes to the unevangelized of the world. Hmm. Does this say something to you? Friends, I don't share this to put you on a, under a weight of a burden. I share it to open our eyes. Let's look at how we live. Are we living so that we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Is that how we live our lives? Is that how we're conducting ourselves in our everyday walk and existence? Now, why is this happening? Well, some possible reasons. Ignorance. Maybe we just don't know. First of all, maybe we don't know that God's purpose is to have the nations, all the nations, represented around his throne. Maybe we don't know the actual situation worldwide. We've not taken time to look at it and think about it. And we are pretty, I, I mean, it's normal to be consumed with our immediate lives. Because that's what we see every day. But, and we don't really know what's happening. So ignorance, uh, ignorance of how I as in one individual Christian can make any difference anyway. Maybe we don't know. Maybe another one is a faulty belief that reaching the world is for hired professionals to do. As a Christian, I'm just basically here to live a good life as I can and give to my church so the professionals can do the work. But as I read my Bible, God didn't give these commands to professionals. He gave it to his followers, his disciples. If you want to follow me. And, and so it's for all of us. So maybe we have a faulty belief that it's for those who are trained to do this. But we don't have to be trained to tell what Jesus is all about. And then the third uh, might be a mastery problem. Let's see, will it, will it let me go there? There, a mastery problem. Is Jesus really Lord? Jesus said that he wants to be Lord and master of our lives. He says, seek first my kingdom. But is he really Lord of my life? If he asks me to do something, is my disposition to say, yes, master, I'll do that? You know, I think of Gollum, master, you know? Jesus is our master. He's our Lord. And he has the right to command our resources, to command how we use our time, 
to command how we use our lives for him. Tell us where to go, how to live. He has the right because he paid so that we could know him and so that we could have the kind of life he wants us to have. Is he Lord? It's a question. So how can we get back in tune with God's heart? Yeah, good. Well, one thing, we can change the focus of our life. If your focus has been on your life and your circumstances and your situation, I would encourage and challenge you today to make his kingdom and his righteousness the focus instead of your life and your circumstances and your situation. In other words, make Jesus Lord of your life. The second thing we can do is learn. Learn and be informed. Take things like the Kairos course that I talked about. And I'm going to be trying to see what, explore ways that we could offer it up in this area of the country. Uh, Edson Hinton, Grand Cash, White Court, bringing people from those areas together to do a Kairos course up in this area. Because I see this as a key instrument in helping us understand God's purpose for his work. And so get informed um, and learn. Uh, then the third one is to engage, decide. You know, nothing ever really happens till you decide. And you actually say, I am going to do this. And then once you've decided, nothing ever happens until you actually start to make it happen. And many of us decided New Year's resolutions, right? We made a New Year's resolution. We decided, I'm going, this year I'm going to exercise every day. Nothing will happen until you get out the door and to the gym and you get running around that track every day. So decide followed by action. Decision followed by action. That's how we can engage. So what kinds of things can we do? Well, one thing you could do is to subscribe to the Do uh, Joshua Project Daily Prayer Focus. Every day this Joshua Project has done a lot of research. You could go on their website and you could learn a lot about the world situation through that. It's an excellent resource. And you could take the Joshua Project and they have a daily prayer focus for unreached or least reached people. And they tell a little bit about the people group, what they believe, and what's needed to happen in order for that people group to be reached with the gospel. And you can pray for that people group, that, a different one every day of the year. And they just send you a little thing on your phone, and it tells you about the people group and reminds you to pray. We need those kind of things. And this is a good resource that could help you. So if you're saying, well, I want to pray more for missions and what God's heart is for the world, this is a great tool for you. You can give. Uh, you could give to the Global Advance Fund of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Now, uh, you can go on our website, www.cmacan.org. And there is a donate page. And you could become a regular donor to the uh, Global Advance Fund, which 
is what pays for missionaries to be able to live on the field where they're working. It pays for their travel to and from the field. It pays for their kids' education. It pays for their ministry and living expenses in the country where they're working. So uh, we need partners who will get engaged with the Global Advance Fund. So you could decide, I'm going to just start $50 a month. That's not a lot, but it sure would help. It can go a long way in helping somebody to continue the kind of work that needs to be done. Or you could contact a Christian Missionary Alliance worker uh, in one of the S, S regions and just get to know them and go and visit them and find out what they're doing and become a partner with them in what they're doing. You could uh, go and visit them. And then someone asked me last night a great question. How does one get involved in mission anyway? Well, it starts with finding out what's happening and maybe getting in touch with a worker or a mission board and seeing what they're doing and actually exploring that and then start into the process and contact the mission board and fill out their application forms and that kind of thing. It, it follows. So, yeah, you contact the CMA worker and find out. Often we've spoken in churches, my wife and I, over the last few years, several years, and I've had people say to me, Dan, when I was a young person, I sensed that God wanted me to be involved in mission. But you know, then life happened. I got a boyfriend, his heart wasn't for mission, and so I just put it on the back burner. We got married, life happened, and I never got there. I've had other people with other situations face very similar things, and some of them with tears running down their cheeks, thinking they had missed God's best for them. Friends, it's never too late. It's never too late. You can engage where you are, right here in Hinton. You can become a part of God's great purpose for the nations of the world. You can be on the team. I said to someone else to here this weekend, you know, we need people who stay here and work in the mines and give to support those who are going and pray. I had one lady, I had six weeks on the field. We, had, I, I, we were driving our field director's truck up to the interior. He couldn't go on the trip, so he had asked us newbies to do it. I had been there six weeks. And he told us there's a stretch of road that when it rains, it gets very, very slick. Well, wouldn't you know it, on the way back, it was raining as I was coming, driving down that stretch of road, and I was coming down a hill, and the Land Cruiser is a fairly heavy vehicle, and there was a corner, a curve, near the midsection of the hill, and on one side was an embankment that went straight up, and the other side was an embankment that fell down about 100 feet. And as I was coming there, I realized I had to slow this vehicle down to make that corner. I did what I thought was touching the brakes, but they locked, and as I went around the corner, I went into a skid. And there was a car parked along that vertical embankment on the side, and the occupants had gotten out to go for a little stretch. 
I came around that corner and our Land Cruiser plowed into that car, totaling the other car. I could have gone the other way and gone over the cliff and I probably wouldn't be here today. I could have hit that car when people were in it but didn't so nobody was hurt. And several weeks later, I got a letter from a lady in our church in West Rock. And she said, what was happening at this particular time, on this particular day? And by the time we did the calculations, it was the exact moment when I was coming down that hill that she had been moved to pray. And I was spared. Lives were spared. Because God moved at a lady's heart over thousands of miles away to pray. It would have probably been the middle of the night for her. But God moved her to pray specifically for us at that time. You see, you never know what part you have, what you can do. But God has a part for each one of us to play in his heart for the nations. And he wants you to engage. How are you going to engage in accomplishing his purpose for the nations around you? Thank you. Check, check, check. This morning, um, Jess is going to sing this next song, How He Loves. We haven't done it for a long time in church, but if you get anything out of today, just know that God loves you right where you are right now. You know, we all have our warts, and we all have lots of work to do, but He loves 